Then I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. I'm here. <laughs> Lord, thank you. This is live radio. <laughs> this is just really, it just hit me during that song how much we have to be thankful for in this country. And I pray to God the church wakes up. So I'm I'm kind of losing it here, so I'm going to turn it over to our guest, Dr. Andy Woods, and I'm going to ask him to open in prayer. Good morning, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, David. Thanks yeah. for having me. Let's let's pray. Yes. Father, we just lift up uh, this, uh, this very special day where we have a, a right to do something that most people in world history have never had an opportunity to do, and that's to select their own ruler. And we just pray, Lord, that your people would show up today and would vote your values. And we trust everything to your sovereignty. we were reminded of Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, which says, It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. And also, Lord, we pray today in the spirit of 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, where Paul writes, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men 
for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so with those scriptures in mind, Lord, um, you tell us to trust your sovereignty, and you tell us to pray for our leaders. And so we just pray for our whole country on this particular day. Uh, We pray also for those that are showing up to vote, that they would vote biblical values. And we thank you for the privilege that we have in doing so. And we pray, Father, that today we would be good stewards of this uh, wonderful republic that you have entrusted to us and that we may be one nation um, under God. We're reminded of the book of Proverbs, which says, When the righteous rule, the people rejoice, and when the wicked rule, the people groan. Mm. And Lord, we don't want to be groaning. We want to be rejoicing. And so we just pray for your sovereignty and that the person of your choice would become the leader of this wonderful republic. And we just ask that you'll do this great work today on this very special day, Election Day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Andy. And we've got a lot to cover today. Um, Man, I I just was... (laughs) That song just got me. I guess I've been uh, just seeing some of the <laughs> thank you, um, seeing some of the the videos of people across the country in a time when we are so divided, and even Christians, even the church is unfortunately divided, um, coming out and saying, you know what? I don't care if they're gonna <laughs> vandalize my car or house. I'm gonna say I support President Trump, and I'm you know I mean it's sad that we have to. Say that I mean, there's businesses that are boarding up their their storefronts in different cities, uh, preparing for election violence. I'm thinking, well, what what side is going to revolt? What side is going to cause the violence? And why why can't we put two and two together? Well, the media is not reporting fairly on that, of course. But Andy, a lot is at stake, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Thankfully, I w- was able to see your pastor's point of view about what's at stake. This is Election Day 2020. I'm so thankful to have you on today as people start voting across the country. And I'm not even sure where to start, but one of the big issues that we've been talking about is, of course, life in the womb. And the changes, the what we know now that we didn't know in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided by a handful of justices on the Supreme Court. So, Andy, just uh, take us in- into that issue and uh, wherever you want to go, brother. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, get out there and vote biblically, and the issue is, well, how do you do that exactly? Um, When there's so much acrimony and consternation um, and negative tweeting, and I think people are very confused about how to vote biblically, and to me, the way to do it is to vote policy and not personality to take people's individual personalities and just take them completely out of the equation, and then to look at the Bible. And in the pastor's point of view, you know, that you spoke of, we identified 15 issues. There are probably more. And obviously in a show like this, we can't go through all of them, but people can find that on YouTube. We identified 15 issues where God has spoken. In other words, this issue is important to God. It's not important necessarily to man, um, but this is what God says. And from there, then you look at the two parties and their platforms, because their platforms are expressed writings of what they want to do on that issue. And then you just ascertain which party platform, you know, is closer to biblical truth than the other. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you can do that with abortion, um, which is obviously a very important issue as far as God is concerned. We have Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, where God says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, therefore, very clearly, the Bible knows no distinction between born and unborn. And so what party, you know, better mirrors that? Well, you look at the Republican Party platform as it currently exists, page 13, and they say, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life, which cannot be infringed. 
And the platform goes on and says, not only that, we're not going to give money to Planned Parenthood as long as they're in the process of, quote, selling fetal body parts Mm. rather than providing health care. That's on page 13 of the Republican Party platform. And then from there, you just look at the Democratic Party platform, and it says the exact opposite. (laughs) It says on page 32, Democrats believe that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortions. And then they say on the same page, we will restore federal funding to Planned Parenthood, which provides a vital preventive and reproductive health care for millions of people, close quote. So, you know, to me, it's uh, God gave us an intellect. (laughs) So I'm looking at the Bible. (laughs) I'm looking at the two major platforms. And on that issue, it sure seems like the Republicans are a lot closer to biblical truth than the Democrats. So anyway, we do that for 15 issues, and that's sort of the heart and soul of that particular pastor's point of view. Well, and we'll link that uh, up at our blog post, standupforthetruth.com, to your pastor's point of view, what's at stake in the 2020 election. That's a huge issue. And could you please clarify or, or at least give me some insight and our listeners some insight on how some people can go to church and they can read their Bibles and they can still justify voting against life in the womb? Is Are we talking about a seared conscience? Are we talking about idolatry to a political party, in this case, the Democrat Party? Or this is tradition, my, my family's always done it this way? And how, what, what can you give us as far as insight into this, Andy? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I've been trying to figure out that one for years. And, I mean, I, all I can really do is give you my take on it. I, I think it really has to do with disconnect. And it's this idea that people think that the Bible is just a book about spiritual matters. You know, it tells you how to get to heaven. It tells you how to get your sins forgiven. And obviously that is the the most important message of the Bible, how we as sinners can be saved. But the Bible, if you look at all 66 books, it speaks to every single issue of life, if you let it. And it doesn't just talk about what goes on in a church or what goes on in a, in a soul. It, it speaks to economics. It speaks to human government. It speaks to the prenatal activities of the unborn. Um, It advocates a particular economic philosophy, you know, socialism versus, uh, you know, the free market. The Bible has something to say about that. And I think it's just just people are not letting the Bible say what it wants to say Mm. as an authoritative document. That's it. And I have to put the blame on some of us as pastors because we've so emphasized the spiritual aspects of it you know, how to get people to heaven, that we've neglected what Paul called, you know, in Acts 20, verse 27, the full counsel of God's Word. Mm. And pastors just are not equipping the flock, you know, with a biblical worldview and letting the Bible speak to every area of life. And so what people do is they go to the voting place with disconnect. You know, they've got John 3.16 in their mind, but then they're thinking of, you know, President Trump's latest tweet and how it was mean to somebody or or whatever, and they're allowing some kind of, um, I don't know, secondary issue to usurp uh, their thinking in what God says, you know, about voting. That's a great response and, and commentary. I really um, appreciate that. And um, we need to move on, but thank you. Um, disconnect. Um, we've been talking a lot in the past <laughs> six months about cognitive dissonance and how some people just seem to be, they have this hypocrisy that they're not willing to look at. But, uh, okay, Pastor Andy, some of the topics that you've already covered in your pastor's point of view, I do want to touch on at least four or five of them, God willing and time willing today. Israel, law and order, pulpit freedom, education, uh, sex education in schools, um, Christian parents, and marriage is what I want to go to next because we need to also go from here and talk about the dangerous Equality Act that Joe Biden, the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi introduced this several years ago, and they've been promoting this. They, they tried to pass it, I think, in 2016, 2017. Uh, fortunately, it did not pass. But So let's talk about the importance of marriage. And this, of course, Jesus defined marriage uh, in the Gospels and, of course, uh, confirmed God's 
you know, I'll just let you share whatever you want to share about the importance of family and marriage. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm teaching, uh, I just started the book of Genesis at my local church, so we just finished uh, Genesis 2. And there it is on the second chapter of the Bible. (laughs) You know, God is the author of marriage, and you'll find God's statement of marriage in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, verses 18 through 25. And I, I don't know how people could miss it. It's very clear. And you mentioned Jesus. When Jesus was questioned about marriage and divorce yes. in Matthew nineteen three through 6, really what they were trying to do there with that question is they were trying to get him into a rabbinical debate between the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai, and there were differences of rabbinical thought concerning, you know, when a divorce is permissible, and it revolved around what's called the indecent thing uh, that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And it's interesting that when Jesus uh, fields that question and answers that question, he doesn't get into the rabbinical debate. He doesn't uh, say, well, Hillel says this, or... Shammai says that, what he goes back to is God's original design in marriage. And in Matthew 19, you know, verses 3 through 6, you'll see him quoting Genesis 1, verse 27, and also Genesis 2, verse 24, you know, which is the Creator's blueprint for marriage. But real real quickly, looking at the two major platforms on this, you look at the Republican Party, page 31 of their platform, and they say the foundation of civil society and the cornerstone of family is the natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. Yes. Boy, that sounds a lot like what we read about in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. (laughs) And then we're looking here at the Democratic platform. At page 83 of their platform, they say, quote, Democrats will advance the ability of all persons to live with dignity, security, and respect, regardless of who they are and who they love, close quote. So the Republican Party basically is standing on marriage as the cornerstone of civilization. The Democratic Party says, no, um, it's not one man for one woman for one life. It's whoever you happen to love, whether it be a fellow man or... I guess two women loving one man or a man, you know, loving a child. It just opens Pandora's box. And once that box is opened, then you've got a second issue, and that has to do with the rights of conscience Mm. and religious freedom. Yes. Um, Because with the Equality Amendment, or Act, as you called it, then you have a scenario in place, God forbid if that ever passes, where conservative organizations and churches can actually be, you know, criminally prosecuted or the force of law can come against them if they don't marry two men or if they don't want to hire a cross-dressing staff member. And so there on page 11 of the Republican Party platform, you see the Republicans taking a stand for freedom of conscience. And they say, we pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. The Democrats, by contrast, on page 48 of their platform, say we reject the Trump administration's use of broad religious exemptions to allow businesses, medical care providers, social service agencies, and others to discriminate, close quote. So there it is in black and white and plain print. The Republican Party stands for traditional marriage. The Democratic Party does not. The Republican Party wants to protect the rights of conscience, of churches that want to stand on traditional marriage. The Democratic Party calls that discrimination just as bad as racial discrimination. And so there's two issues right there where the Republicans seem closer to biblical truth than the Democrats. Huge issues, and those are just a couple of them that you covered on your pastor's point of view. And we've got to take a break already. Already, can you believe it? We're going uh, running out of time here. But um, we will talk a little bit about the Equality Act. Also, when we come back, what happens if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win? What will happen in the first 100 days of their presidency? And conversely, where do we go, especially for Christians, if President Trump is reelected? What can we do? 
More with Pastor Andy Woods when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Dr. Andy Woods, pastor, teacher, Sugarland Bible Church in Texas. He's the president of Schaefer Theological Seminary. And you can find more about him, Andy Woods Ministries. But if uh, most Christians, I think, are concerned about if they have kids in school, junior high and high school, they don't want their daughters competing against boys, uh, you know, other men, you know, biological males in track and field and any other sport. But these things are happening in different states in the country. There's been lawsuits already. This is a move of the left. And again, it goes back to the to destroying the foundation of creation and male and female. But Joe Biden pledged that within his first 100 days in office, he would sign into law the Equality Act. It is a pro-LGBT bill. It doesn't give uh, transgenders or uh, lesbians and gays equal rights. It gives them special rights. It elevates them because it will inevitably discriminate against Christians. Uh, President Trump warns that this Equality Act is filled with uh, poison pills that will threaten to undermine parental and conscience rights. Before we get into sex ed, Andy, or maybe we can transition here, your uh, final thoughts on the Equality Act. Well, I mean, the Equality Act takes um, something that was good originally, which is civil rights. Yes. You know, if you go back to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you know, it forbids discrimination against people based on what's called an immutable characteristic, like skin color, a characteristic about themselves that they have no control over. Uh, and everybody acknowledges, gosh, civil rights is a great is a great thing. But what's happened over the course of time is they've added to the categories behavior-based activities, uh, like um, your one's. Uh, whether they're homosexual, whether they're an adulterer, whether they're this or whether they're that, suddenly that takes on the same force of civil rights law. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, you'll see a bunch of behaviors there. And Paul says, including homosexuality, such as some of you were, but you've been washed You've been cleansed by the Spirit, etc. So there are certain behaviors that we engage in that aren't immutable, that can be changed under God's power, like homosexuality, adultery, you know, compulsive eating, a bad temper, whatever. But the Equality Act ignores all of that and basically treats all of those categories the same way as being Asian or black or Hispanic, and therefore, should the Equality Act pass, essentially what's going to happen is now the force of law comes against a Christian organization, a Christian church, Mm -hmm. for not marrying, for example, a homosexual couple, not hiring a homosexual uh, uh, staff member, not hiring a homosexual pastor, And that church can be sued under the force of civil rights law. And it brings the force of law against the church, and in the process it violates the rights of individual conscience of that particular church. And so that's the the parade of horribles, you know, that will be unleashed. Mm -hmm. God forbid, should this Equality Act take on the force of law. So now let's move into education and sex ed. And uh, this is very concerning for Christian parents. Now, many of us don't have kids in schools, and a lot of our listeners, their kids are well-grown now, out of school. Um, but this has been an issue. This is not a recent issue, this problem with radical sexualized education, particularly in the public schools. What did you share on your uh, pastor's point of view about that? Well, the most fundamental issue there is who is in charge of children. I mean, who do children mm. belong to? <laughs> And I think if you look at your Bible, you'll see passages like Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, the great Hebrew Shema, where the Lord says, listen. And in the New Testament, you'll see passages like Ephesians 6, verse 4. And it's very clear that parents uh, have the authority over their own children by divine you know, decree. Now, The Republican Party platform is in favor of what's called school choice, P, 
page 32 and page 34 of its platform, which is simply the idea that the money follows the child. Whatever parents decide to do with a child, you know, public school, private school, parochial school, uh, homeschooling, the money will follow them, and it's free, you know, for them to use at their discretion. The Democratic Party platform is the exact opposite, where the child actually will follow the money. You know, the money is not following the child. The child is following the money, which basically means the child has to go to public school. And if parents want to put their kids in homeschooling or private schooling or a Christian school, then they're victimized by double taxation because they not only have to pay money, you know, to the private school for tuition, but they're still paying the tax money for the public school. Mm. And so you, you can see the two approaches. One approach basically respects the fact that parents should make that decision. The other approach, the Democratic Party, is trying to drive a wedge, in my opinion, mm-hmm. between a authority structure that God has ordained, where God himself, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, essentially says that parents have authority over their own children. Now, once they go into the schools that the Democrats want them to go into, then you again see two different approaches. Um, the Republican Party calls for sex education in the form of abstinence until marriage. Page 34 of its platform, the Democratic Party, by contrast, is the exact opposite. Page 32 of its platform, age-appropriate sex education for all. And then you get into this whole issue of public school restrooms. You know, can a boy who thinks he's a girl on a particular day walk into the girl's restroom? Um, the Democratic Party says yes on page 42 of its platform. It says wow. we will work to guarantee transgender students' access to facilities based on their gender identity. The Republican Party says the exact opposite, and it actually praises people for rebelling, page 35, against Obama's edict of, you know, transgender bathrooms in public schools. So um, I think, once again, <laughs> when you look at the two major platforms and you look at God's authority structure, the Republican Party is not the kingdom of God by no stretch of the imagination, but it certainly seems a lot closer to biblical truth than the Democratic Party platform. Uh, Andy, it just doesn't seem like a lot, or I guess maybe enough Christians are that knowledgeable about what you're sharing with us. The, and you can find this on most websites, what's in the Democrat Party platform, what's in the Republican Party platform. You can get these comparisons. I've got one here you can, all over the place, but it just doesn't seem like people really look at maybe the right ones. They're worried about maybe the economy as the top thing or COVID-19, which is one of the wild cards in this election. Uh, I don't even know um, why people don't seem to get, I mean, Christians, Christian, we don't, the world's going to do what they're going to do. They're going to probably vote economy and whatever else, and they don't have a God to place their hope and trust in. They don't have the same worldview. So does this come down to a worldview issue? And then if that's true, then what happens with those that are in the church that are not really looking at these platforms and taking this seriously? Yeah, most people, when they go to vote, you know, they're looking at it sort of as a um, thing that I'm going to vote the way my parents did. Or, you know, gosh, I better vote this way, because if I don't vote this way, then the business that I work for won't get that government contract, Uh or what tax bracket I'm going to be in. And I think people, when they go to vote, and I think Christians are like this as well, to a large extent, is they don't really see it as a service unto God. Mm. Um, they, They look at it differently than they would teaching a Sunday school class, you know, for example. I mean, you teach a Sunday school class or you serve in your local church, that's a service, you know, unto God. And that's how we need to start looking at voting. We need to see this as a service unto God, get rid of the disconnect, get rid of all of the peripheral issues, and what does God say in His Word about the issues of the day, and which party platform is closer to biblical truth than the other. I think if if we could get all that name the name of Christ to do that, 
I think our country today would be completely and totally different. I agree. I really agree 100% with what you just shared. And yet there are Christian leaders, let's just call them uh, the Christian left or progressive Christians, or I don't know. I don't know what angle they're coming at this from. You talked a little bit about John Piper and others. And I don't. I just don't get it. Some of these leaders coming out and, and saying, well, essentially saying, well, no, we're not going to vote for President Trump. We're going to vote for either a third-party candidate. Can you just share some of the points you made about either progressive leaders or others who, uh, because of maybe their conscience, they're saying, okay, I'm going to either not vote or vote for third party? Well, for a long time, I've seen Christian leaders, you know, essentially believe in progressive politics. They, at their heart of hearts, believe that progressivism is what Jesus was all about. And I think what they've done to Jesus is they've stripped him of who he is, Mm. and they've kind of turned him into sort of a social revolutionary. Uh, Liberation theology, for example, which is um, basically communism, has been doing this to Jesus Christ, you know, for an awful long time. And, you know, the communists are pretty good. They can either go into a country and they could ban the Bible and execute people that have Bibles. Or something like that obviously wouldn't work in America because the Bible is loved in America. So let's just get into the Bible and change what the Bible means and redefine the Bible in such a way that it's more conducive to progressivism than it is to, you know, constitutional conservatism. And so I've seen Christian leaders do this for years. Uh, Their basic worldview is that of progressivism, and they're trying to make the Bible fit their preconceived worldview. And that's the category I would put people in, like John Piper. We also mention in the uh, uh, PPOV, Russell Moore, Mark Dever, David Platt, and believe me, that's just a small list of others that we could go into. But I think if you actually got into the worldview of these men, they're progressives. That's Mm. what they believe is true. And they're trying to make Jesus fit their preordained worldview, and they're trying to get the rest of the church to buy into it, not by banning the Bible, but by changing the Bible from within. And if they succeed there, it's over for America, because the last really form of resistance against progressivism is is a biblical Christian. And what better way to stop that than to just change what Christianity actually stands for? So do you agree with this quote by Charles Finney, who said, the time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics or the Lord will curse them. Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this manner, but the time has come when they must act differently, and then he says, God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take. Yeah, that particular quote, I, I've used that. I <clears throat> believe in that quote 110%, hmm. particularly in a country like ours where we are the boss. I mean, isn't America, it's a unique experiment of the people, by the people, Amen. for the people, you know. Donald Trump is not the boss. Joe Biden is not the boss. We are the boss. And basically to not vote or to not vote biblically Hmm. is like being in charge of a business or a family or a church or whatever and abdicating your authority. And I think God, you know, takes that very seriously because he's given us privileges here that most people in world history have never had. And I think God will curse or bless the republic based on what his people do. Oh my goodness, and we're getting close. Before we have to take our next break, Andy, love to talk about Israel. Why is this so important of an issue, and why don't we hear more about it? Sure. Well, you know, (laughs) is Israel a big issue? Um, (laughs) uh, My goodness, you get to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and God blesses or curses nations based on how they treat Israel. And, of course, one of the big issues is to whom does Jerusalem belong? When you look at 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 32, you see very clearly that Jerusalem belongs to Israel. And the Republican Party takes a position on that. In its platform on page 47, they say Jerusalem is the eternal and indivisible capital of the Jewish state, 
and basically calls for the American embassy to be removed to be moved to Jerusalem, which, as we all know, is something Donald Trump actually did. Yes. And you compare that to the Democratic Party, page 91, and they have some nice things to say about Jerusalem, but they say Jerusalem is a matter of final status negotiations. So what does that the, mean? Republic, the Republican Party, what does it do? It, it, it takes a stand on a 3,000-year-old issue that Jerusalem is the undivided capital of Israel. The Democratic Party does not take that stand and just acts like Jerusalem is subject to the two-state solution and whatever negotiations people come up with. Wow. That, thank you. That is so very clear and so important for us to recognize, especially in light of the fact that God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Um, just It's just amazing to me why we don't hear more about Israel. And, by the way, uh, what are your thoughts briefly? about the peace plans that Donald Trump has been working on and the lack of any media outlet, most media outlets, mentioning that he was nominated for Nobel Peace Prizes. He's probably not going to get the prize, but he was nominated for his efforts. You would think that this country and our media would want to say, hey, this is a good thing. Yeah, I remember when they wanted to give that award to Obama after he had been in office, I think, for just a year and hadn't done anything. <laughs> Actually, it was way, way earlier, even than a year in his presidency. When just, right? just yes, just for being elected, it was just it was astounding to most of us. Yeah, and here Trump has actually done significant things in the Middle East and is deserving the, of the award. And I guess he's won the award, and no one wants to cover it. And mm. I think it just relates back to media bias. You know, if Obama had done anything like Trump has actually done. You know, in the Middle East, it would be all over the place, particularly right before a national election. But they're basically censoring, you know, anything Trump has done positively in the Middle East. You know, I remember uh, presidents going way back, all promising they were going to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. <laughs> Interesting. And nobody did it. Yeah. Republicans or Democrats, nobody did it. And here Trump says he's going to do it and actually gets into office and pulls it off. And, you know, if, if that in and of itself doesn't make Trump unique amongst the, uh, you know, presidents that we've had, I don't know what will. Yeah. We've got to take another break. We're with Pastor Andy Woods today. We're going to do a little bit of speculating when we come back. We'll also ask the question, what if these predictions and all the polls are wrong again like they were four years ago? We're going to talk about pulpit freedom, law and order, and hopefully we get to borders and immigration. So much more with Pastor Andy Woods when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're with Pastor Andy Woods, and I've been seeing some polls around the country. Yes, maybe they are tightening a little bit, but if you look at the enthusiasm on the side of President Trump, and you look at the, I don't even know if you can call them rallies, I would hold, call them meetings that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are having, and and yeah, I call them a rally, whatever. Um, it's it's just like there's no comparison. And I'm looking at these polls going, what happens if these predictions are wrong again? Andy, just your specul speculation. I think the polling industry will be done, but I'm sure it won't be. Yeah, it just looks to me, David, like we're getting um, 216 all over again, mm -hmm. you know, or at least that's my hope, that all of these polls are off for the simple reason that Trump voters, you know, really don't want to tell people they're voting for Trump when someone anonymously calls their house <laughs> and wants to poll them, probably because they're being tired of called racists and xenophobic and yeah. everything else. Yeah. And I think the Trump support is probably being undersampled in these polls. At least I, I hope so. Yes. So before we end today, I really want to get to this last question uh, before we end, just giving people a heads up and maybe you, you where we want to go. Um, the church. If Donald Trump is reelected, Trump-Pence, if we have the same administration, we can't relax and let up. So we're, we'll talk about the last couple minutes of the podcast today. What do we do? Where do we go from here as Christians, as the church? So right now, let's talk about what will happen if the left wins. If in the first 100 days of a Biden, Harris, Pelosi, Schumer, AOC, Sanders presidency, 
Uh, what will happen? And you laid out a handful of things in your pastor's point of view. Right. Well, one of the things to understand is that the Democratic Party has said over and over again, really going back to Obama, that they will fundamentally transform the United States. That's their language, you know, not mine. And the reason they think they have a right to fundamentally transform the United States is because they believe that the United States is what they call systemically racist. So it's not that we started off wrong on the slavery issue and fixed it. It's the idea that all of our institutions today are corrupted by racism to their core. And so they believe it's completely okay to tear down, uh, to use the language from one thing I read recently, to burn down the American plantation and replace it with something else. So when they use that word progressive, that's what they're speaking about. And the issue with me is, well, you want to use the word progressive, what are we progressing towards? And here's what they want to do. Number one, they want to get rid of the Electoral College, so the only people that will matter in future national presidential elections will be the most liberal population centers of the country, New York and California. Number two, they want to grant uh, statehood to Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia, which will increase the number of senators that we have. And those, it's presumed, will be two Democrats from each state, which will uh, increase liberal majorities. Number three, they want to take the border enforcement and the travel ban, and they want to get rid of it, and they want open borders, and they want people to come across the border and to sign up for social programs and get hooked on social programs so that people will continue to vote for the party which promises to expand those social programs the greatest, which will be the Democratic Party. Number four, they will pack the United States Supreme Court and the lower courts. And thanks to the Democrats' abdication of the filibuster rule, hmm. Trump has used that to his advantage, and he has has. Uh, put conservatives on the judiciary at all levels more than any other president, particularly in just one term. And what the Democrats want to do is they want to say, okay, well, instead of nine people on the court, we're going to have, you know, 15 people. And Biden will counterbalance the conservative philosophy that Trump has been able to implant with just a whole bunch of liberals coming in. And then number five, what they're going to do to fundamentally transform the United States of America is they're going to start banning the very thing, David, that we're doing right now, uh, communication. And they're going to use all kinds of fuzzy language to do it, like community standards and hate crime laws and those kinds of things. And so what's going to happen is hate speech codes. What's going to happen is we're just going to have an inability to get out our conservative, Bible-based message. It's going to be called racist and hate speech. And so (laughs) America right now is literally on the brink of moving into all of those things. I don't hear too many Paul Revere's. You know, Paul Revere said the British are coming. Uh, We're here today trying to be Paul Revere, explaining to people what's coming. If they don't get up and get to the polls today and vote biblical values. You yes. can stop it. It's within our power to stop it. It's up to us. Yes. The communists are coming. The socialists are coming. The leftists are coming. The liberals, are, they're here. They're here. Our enemy is within, and that's what we need to recognize. Andy, let's get on to the next issue of law and order. I'm looking at the state of Minnesota tonight. I'm going to be very curious to see how their people who have been affected by lawlessness and defunding the police in Minneapolis-St. Paul in particular because of years and years of years of Democrat policies and liberal government. I'm seeing tonight if the people are finally fed up. Your thoughts on the issue of law and order in this election? Well, law and order, again, is a Bible issue. People will see God establishing government in what's called the Noahic Covenant, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, government bears the sword to restrain evil. And you'll see that picked up by the the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, verses 3 and 4. To my mind, the Republican Party platform is a pro-law and order platform. It says on page 41, we will restore law and order. 
The Democratic Party, on page 35 of its platform, has a completely different philosophy. It wants to, quote, overhaul the criminal justice system from top to bottom, close quote. So what's on trial in the Democratic Party platform is not the criminals and not the looters and those causing arson. It's the police force itself, which they believe is systemically racist. So, for example, in the tragic death of George Floyd, which we all agree was horrible, Mm -hmm. rather than seeing that as one or two or three bad actors who need, and justice needs to be brought completely against those bad actors and is being brought against those bad actors, the Democrats look at that and say, well, the whole police force is systemically racist and all of America is systemically racist. So what's on trial now is the police force. It's like, David, you remember the OJ trial? Yes. <laughs> By the end of the trial, I didn't know who was on trial anymore. I mean, it started off with OJ being on trial, but the defense attorneys turned it into the LAPD is on trial exactly. because they're the ones that you know planted the evidence because they apparently are systemically racist. Yep. So you know, if the Democrats get power in this country, that's the kind of insanity that you're going to see. The criminals aren't the issue. It's the law enforcement agents that are the issue. And that's what they mean by using this expression. And Biden used it in the debates. Systemic racism, that's what they're speaking of. Yep. Let's jump ahead to speaking of police, law and order, enforcement. What about immigration and our borders? Well, you know, borders, I mean, who invented borders? God. Um, Go back to (laughs) Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, and you'll see God is creating nations, and you can't have a nation, you know, without borders. And you'll see Paul himself, I think, on his speech in Mars Hill, mentioning borders, or God having determined the boundaries of our habitation. And so a lot of people think enforcing borders is is somehow unchristian. When in reality, all you're doing is standing on the very thing that God himself created in Genesis 11 at the famous Tower of Babel. And it's very interesting to me. People think, well, it's unchristian for Trump to build a wall. I guess they've never read the book of Nehemiah. I mean, isn't that the whole point of the book? <laughs> yes. Where they're, they're building a wall around the city of Jerusalem. With a weapon in way, one hand, by the way. That's exactly what I was going to say. They're building with one hand, and they've got a private weapon in the other. Um, and that's where Spurgeon, you know, got his famous uh, title for his regular publication called Sword and, and Trowel, I think mm-hmm. it's called. Yep. And it's right. It's based on Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, Andy, we've got three minutes left and um, two questions in this three minutes. How much of a factor do you think people's fear of COVID-19 will play into how they vote? And then let's wrap it up with where do we go as Christians if Donald Trump is reelected president? Right. Well, to me, you know, the the fear with COVID-19 is not so much COVID-19. I mean, we should be concerned about it, but it's the fear of what the government is doing as Mm. a reaction to COVID-19. Yes. And that's what I'm afraid of. And Joe Biden, to me, he sounded like Jimmy Carter with his pessimism. Uh, Yeah. And Jimmy Carter, remember, talked about the melees. I mean, when Joe Biden looks into the camera and tells America we're going into a dark winter, I mean, what kind of optimism is that for the future? He wants to take the whole country and lock it down. And if you want to live like the folks have to live under Whitmer in Michigan, you better get out there and you better you better vote Republican. And I, I didn't catch quite, David, the second part of your question there. Oh, yeah. Well, what do we do as Christians, the body of Christ? We've got to do something different because we've kind of been taking it easy. Half the church or more has been asleep. What can we do as Christians? Where do we go from here if President Donald Trump is reelected? Well, we need to become stewards. And we need to thank God for his grace, you know, if Trump is elected. And we start, we need to see our government as part of our stewardship. Mm -hmm. You know, a steward is not um, an owner, but a manager. And all of us have been given certain things to manage on God's behalf, time, talent, and treasure. And there's one other thing that we should add to our stewardship list as Americans, and it's our own government. 
And Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, you know, what is required of stewards but faithfulness? And I can guarantee you, at the Bama Seat Judgment of Christ, the question is going to be asked of us as American Christians is, what did you do as a steward concerning the huge privilege I gave you, you being the boss of your own government? And Mm -hmm. so we need to up the stewardship um, teaching. And uh, we really do need to destroy the myth that there is a separation of church and state and Christians should not be involved in the political process. We've got one more minute. Any final thoughts on that? Because to you, that's one of the biggest lies, right? That, that's a huge lie, and there it is right there in the Democratic Party platform. They talk about how they uh, will basically embrace what they call the separation of church and state, which they say is, quote, enshrined in our Constitution, close quote. Wow. And they are banking on the fact that Mr. and Mrs. America have not read the First Amendment, because when you read the First Amendment, you will not see that expression in the Bible, uh, in the First Amendment. Separate institutions, yes, but strict wall of separation between church and state where Christians can't even influence the institution of human government, no way. So once again, there's another clear difference between the two party platforms. Amen. We are here to influence, to impact through the gospel and through our witness for Christ as his ambassadors. Andy Woods, thank you so much. It was a great hour, and God bless you, brother. Keep fighting the good fight. All right. Thanks for having me, David. You're welcome. When we come back, we'll let you know what's on tap the rest of this week. And just remember, friends, fear not. Keep praying today. God is moving whether we see him or not. More to come on Stand Up for the Truth. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. Coming up, John Haller and Scott Lively on podcasts, but let's op- let's close this with the way we need to close it today on this very important day. Father in heaven, you are sovereign and in control. We thank you that the book of Daniel says you raise up kings and you remove kings. You appoint us and you appoint leaders, whether they be pagan leaders or Christian leaders. And Father in heaven, we thank you that you say that you chose us Believers in Christ, you chose us, you saved us. Why did you choose us? To go and bear fruit that would last. No matter what happens with this election today, Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Empower your people to stand up for the truth, to stand for the faith, to hold the line, and empower us, Lord, to be your ambassadors, to shine light in the darkness, to speak truth in love, to not be ashamed of the gospel. And Lord, use us, the body of Christ, to make greater impact and influence for the gospel and for the King of Kings and our Savior Jesus Christ in this coming year and years, however long you have us here, Lord, we are here because of you. We trust your sovereignty. We surrender to you new and afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, God bless you. Fear not. And always keep speaking the truth about things that matter.